G'day everyone, welcome to another edition of the F1 Armchair Experts podcast. I'm Dirk, your host, and as usual, I'm always joined by my partner in crime, Big T, Tony in Ireland, and this week we've got a very special guest, Mr Stacey Vickers. Big T, you know what to do, push all the buttons on your end of the uh, control panel and let's get the show on the road. Let's go. So, folks, this week we're very lucky to be joined by Mr. Stacey Vickers, um, a person who was referred to me by Chris Copsiaftis. I'm glad I can still pronounce his surname after these years all correctly. He's calling known as Copsy, and Copsy put me onto you, Stacey, as a, to come on the show as a guest tonight from from you're in Sydney, I guess. So, Stacey, you're um, you're a bit of a wheelman. You've pushed the pedals before yourself in over in the UK, racing in various series. Do you want to tell uh, the listeners out there a bit, a bit about yourself and your background with motorsport? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, um, uh, I've raced in the UK and uh, Europe for about 20 years, um, all told, and um, uh, always in touring cars, things with a roof on, and, uh, and given my, uh, you know, my girth, um, always with things with, you can ho- measure horsepower in hundreds. So I've never been a formula driver. I've driven one single seater, but uh, yeah, my formula, formula One experience is pretty limited on account of not being able to get into cars. So, what's the one funny story you mentioned to us before, and the before we started recording? Well, I, I did uh, I did sit in um, uh, in Michael Schumacher's 1994 Benetton, and uh, expertly wow. slid into the seat, and then um, uh, and then discovered to my horror that the steering wheel didn't did, didn't detach. <laughs> I couldn't get back out again. <laughs> so, so it was a less than dignified exit, <laughs> not quite as cool as I was hoping. More of a recovery than the rescue effort rather than the plane departure <laughs> Mar- Mar- from the car. Margarine and tyre levers, yeah. <laughs> Can I ask a question there to you, Stacey? What was your, um, what was your best ever finish in, in touring cars? Uh, I, I ran, um, we won four, four championships and uh, wow. a, a lot of races. So, um, yeah, we were pretty fortunate. I think we did, um, we, had, we had some good times. Wow. Well, it's good to have somebody of your pedigree on the show, Stacey, so welcome to the uh, podcast. I want to get the agenda underway. First of all, I just want to quickly cover off of this. I know it's been discussed and thrashed out for weeks in in the group, but obviously with the Russian Grand Prix being uh, shit-canned until further notice, effectively, and the contract torn up, what do you guys think will be the replacement? I'm going to draw a long bow here and say potentially Portimao because all the infrastructure's there. It's got to back the transporters up, but what do you guys think could be the replacement? I'll let Stacey go first. Well, I, I think uh, it's got to sit between Italy and Singapore if it's a if it's a date change, and I think with uh, with Zoo at Alfa Romeo is a great opportunity to uh, do a deal with China um, and uh, and open that market. I think it'll create a lot of interest there. And um, I'm hoping that's what they'll do. Um, failing that, one of the new circuits, you know, anywhere where uh, the teams don't have, uh, you know, a thousand gigabytes of data. So, uh, you know, it tends to give us more exciting races. Especially with the new cars. I mean, they're, they're going to virtually every circuit. That Tony, what do you want to say? Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. Like, it's, it's, it, it needs to be logistically correct in line with um i suppose shipping shipping routes and all that kind of thing so if we're going from italy to singapore something in between it could be turkey it could be have we got have they got the option to open the indian grand prix back up i don't know why we'd go there but it wasn't a great track but i think um i think stacy's on it there with china with uh especially with joe uh back in uh being on the circuit now um that would be a nice one to go back to because it would, I think the track itself in China as well would really give these cars a test. Um, that long back straight, um, it, it, it's 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 if there if there is any poor poising left uh, at that stage of the season, you're definitely going to see it down that straight. So I think China would be a great one. I I, I really hope they take that uh, that that direction. You can certainly say Valencia is off the off the. Uh 
list of circuits are going to go back to because it's just been completely dilapidated over the years and there's been no work done to it. So Valencia, won't, it won't be. I mean, the, the other thing is, I mean, they could just stick with the 22 races and just leave, leave a gap there for, you know, not replace it with anything at all. We'll no, nah, to too much money doing. involved. You don't agree, Tone? There's too much... Nah, there's too much money involved. Like, for them to drop a race will cost Formula One and, and their shareholders, you know, huge money. Um, I I can't see that happening. And it's too much of a gap as well. I think it's like three or four weeks between Italy and Singapore. I don't know the exact dates, but I think it's like the 9th of September and the 30th of September, something like that. So uh, I don't think they can afford to. I, um, I think they just need to pick up all the freight after Italy. Or what they could end up doing is doing maybe a second... Where that's, the, that's Monza they're at, yeah? I'll have to pull it up here. I think uh, it's yep. Monza, isn't it? Uh, yeah, they could potentially go to um, Im- Imolo, Imola straight after it, you know? Oh, no, they're already in Imola, aren't they? I doubt they do two at Imola. Yeah, going back to Imola that late in the year, I don't know. Mm. It's kind of a tricky one, yeah. I wouldn't mind two races in Monza either, you know. McLaren had a really good result there last year, so I'll, uh, uh, me being a McLaren fan, I'll uh, see if we can pull off another one, two, <laughs> two weeks in a row maybe this year. All right, as we move on to the drivers and teams for this year, I'll ask you, Stacey, who's your team and driver in current F1 or previous that you've always backed? Uh, well, um, do I think we'll uh, we'll do well this year, or the one that I'm 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 backing? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a I'm a Fernando, yeah. Well, I'm a Fernando Alonso fan. I think he's a oh, he's, a, he's a class act, and um, no. you know I, I'm Tony loves Nando. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I am your polar opposite. I am your polar opposite. <laughs> Well, you know, his uh, experience in McLaren first time round wasn't, um, you know, wasn't all uh, uh, love and roses, was it? But, um, but yeah, I just think or the, sec- a, or the second quality or the sec- Well, yeah, but I'm not sure that was down to Fernando, to be fair. But uh, and I'm minded that, um, you know, I remember talking to, um, you know, some some guys at the time when Fernando and and Hamilton were were both at the same team, and the feedback was. You know, we should have won everything because the data was off the charts. You know, when you've got two yeah. drivers of that sort of caliber um, in the same team, that was, um, you know, an unfulfilled, um, uh, you, you know, uh, not prophecy, but you know, an unfulfilled challenge. They they could have um, done great things, but uh, wasn't to be. So I'll ask you two guys first off. We'll go through the teams one to ten. First of all, I'm going to ask Ferrari. They're looking strong based on winter testing so far. They have a good reliability at least because they've had some shitbox cars previously that have just broken down, full of you know Fiat and Lucas parts. But this year they've they've really come out with a winning car, I believe. What do you guys think? Yeah, look, I I, I think um, both Red Bull and Ferrari are probably at the top. Um, and what's sort of impressive about those is that it doesn't really matter whether on short runs or long runs or the conditions are cool or warm. They seem to have cars that. Um, they've got on top of that have wide operating, um, you know, um, wide operating windows that all work in in most places. So, um, so I think they're clearly the top two teams for me. I think Mercedes are, you know, they're close behind. They are struggling. I know we're talking about the side pods later, but um, you know, I think they're struggling more. They'll get on top of it. I've no doubt, you know, very quickly, um, but I, I don't think they're on quite the the same, you know, the same same par. And and equally, McLaren might be, you know, in my view, sort of make it a top four. Um, but um, there's a big question mark. They're not don't seem to be suffering from porpoising at all. But the question mark for me is that with uh, with the brake challenge they've had, they've not done race distances, so we've not seen whether porpoising is an issue. Um, with them in full race distance spec. So there's a, there's a couple of variables there, but I'm hoping two or three races in, we'll have four, four, four um, you know, manufacturers uh, racing for wins. Or at least strong podiums, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, my thoughts, uh, 
Definitely. I, th- I don't think it's going to be a Red Bull versus Mercedes season. I'm pretty confident that I've seen enough of uh, testing and different bits and pieces um, to warrant that 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 uh, uh, that opinion. Um, I think it's going to be very much a Red Bull versus Ferrari uh, start to the season. Um, Sainz versus Verstappen, Perez. You know, is he going to be? Is he going to play the rear gunner again against Leclerc, maybe, or is Leclerc going to be up front fighting Verstappen? I think it's very much going to be a Red Bull. I think Red Bull and Ferrari definitely have the stronger package from what it looks like. It's again, we talked about this in the last episode. It's a complete lottery because none of us really know. Uh, we're we're only going to really find out on Saturday of the first race um, when when it comes to qualifying what the pecking order is, but. Uh, I think Red Bull versus Ferrari definitely at the top. I think after that, then um, I don't think there's anything in this Mercedes side pod thing. Um, I think it's going to be somewhere close between Mercedes, McLaren, uh, and possibly Alfa Romeo because we've seen some. You know, Alfa Romeo seem to have a good package as well, and we've talked about this this rear suspension setup on some of these cars, and I think the push rod rear is. Um, I think they've got it right. I know Stacy mentioned there. Um, McLaren haven't really done full race distances because of their uh, their their braking uh, cooling problem at the front, and I know me me and you, Durko, were kind of talking about this uh, yesterday. Um, uh, Bottas had come out and said that the problem with these cars and trying to get on top of these issues is, um, and I got, we're going to talk about it in more detail later, but. You know, breaking into the corners seemed to be a, a huge issue. It's it's getting the balance right between the high speed straights and and breaking into the corners. So maybe Stacy might be able to enlighten us a bit more later on when we talk about that. But yeah, I think the pecking order, it's definitely Mercedes, McLaren, Alfa Romeo, somewhere after that. And then I think you've got kind of like this midfield. I don't think you know after all the hype of Aston Martin at the at the start of the you know after the car launch. I haven't really seen anything amazing from Aston Martin. Um, the Alpine doesn't seem to be, although they've done some really long, long race runs. Um, I think the Alpine looks okay. The Alpha Tauri is okay. The Haas, surprisingly, I don't think is going to be a back market team. It's going to be somewhere between. Yeah, it it could it could vary. I know we saw Michael or uh, Mick Schumacher um, yesterday. I think he. I think it was P2 in the timesheets. But again, we don't know what fuel levels anybody's running. But it was pretty impressive. I mean, everybody's been saying it since launch that the, the Haas looks like a good a good package. And we know that they sacrificed all their development last year um, in order to focus on this year's car. And I think it's paid off for them. Um, and unfortunately, um, after me being a McLaren fan, I'd be a, a, I'm very close to Williams. I like Williams. And, and I think... Um, I think Williams has now become the test mule for Mercedes in some kind of hidden roundabout cloak and dagger kind of way. But uh, it doesn't look that impressive out on track. Uh, I think Williams I think Williams could be the back marker again. I think, you know, if we're if we were to discuss, you know, had has George Russell made the right choice, then I think definitely, you know, he's gone from the back to the front. Well, maybe not the the right at the front, but so that'd be my pecking order. So like kind of Red Bull, Ferrari, uh, the kind of Mercedes, McLaren, Alfa Romeo. I know there'd be might there might be a, a difference of opinion about that where Alfa Romeo sit, and then you you know the kind of the the Alpine, Alfa Tori, Haas, and then uh, I think Williams. But that's again we talked about it. It's a complete lottery. I agree with what you've said, Stasi, regarding the, the the it's going to be Red Bull against Ferrari. But I don't know what Ferrari going to do. Or Matteo Bonotto is going to do when Sainz is potentially beating Leclerc and becoming their front-running driver. Um, he's got good reliability in the in the car last year, at least, um, and I, I think he could potentially be beating Leclerc. Now, I agree with what you say, Tony, about Williams. I think they're going to be the back marker again. I just don't think there's been enough development into the car because they've got no. I mean, you know, Dalton Capital have probably pumped a shitload of cash into the joint, but have they really pumped the money into the, the places where it's needed? But the, the big thing I want to say is regarding Aston Martin, if they're just going to remain a midfield team, is Vettel going to 
renew his contract because he's only on, he's off contract at the end of the year. He's only signed a two year deal with him now. Is he potentially? I'm just saying, is, is he potentially going to renew his contract? What's what's Vettel going to do? Is he going to stay? Is he going to stay at Aston Martin Racing beyond the end of this season? Or is he just going to say, look, sorry, I've had enough. I've got four titles when I was in a decent car. I've just ended up with shit cars ever since. Um, I'm just going to go and retire and restore old motorbikes. I think we come back to this question after maybe four or five races when we're into the season and let's just see how Aston Martin performs and, and then have the Vettel discussion because okay. I know we've had it a few times and it's it's just impossible to say at this stage. But, you know, I, I like Vettel as a driver. I think he's, you know, he's cool. He's he's kind of, he's got his feet fairly attached to the ground. Um, he knows how to develop a car. He knows how to win championships. He's been in those top teams like everything is going for him but whether he just gets kind of fed up of trying to win a fifth mm, yeah maybe but i think we'll come back to this discussion after four or five races and then we'll see how he's how he's doing you know so stacy i cut you off before you were going to say something before i was i was really gonna agree mostly with tony with one exception and that was that you know while the midfield is um, you know, below where we think McLaren would be is very, very tight. I think, you know, there's a clear um, next team, which is um, uh, Fernando Alonso at Alpine, Alpine, which, um, you know, we can all agree that Fernando is a, is a class act. Um, but beneath that, yeah, it's really hard to call. And uh, and Williams, disappointingly, at the back. So you're, you're going with wooden spurters as being Williams again? <laughs> I think uh, I think so. Sadly, yeah. I was watching the, um, uh, you know, I was watching the feed, and it, it didn't look very comfortable. But then you got to look at the Haas team. I mean, for what was just an absolute, you know, season to forget for them with with Mazepin as one of their drivers. I mean, we've we've discussed Mazepin, you know, till till the cows come home before in previous times. But looking at the team on the whole, obviously they've turned up to this pre-season test and. Turned in some decent times, but I mean, it may be all smoke and mirrors. And uh, but have they potentially redeveloped the car to bring it back to at least a decent midfield team? Yeah, I think they made a, a lot of progress. Um, but you know, remember they did no development on the previous car for an entire year. So um, you know that that the, the, they are ahead of the uh, ahead of the curve. You know, had they you know had they not done that. So, um, but yeah, yeah, pleasingly, it looks looks pretty good. I mean, obviously, Kevin Magnussen topping the timesheets was done in the cool of the evening, um, but um, uh, you know, it still you know, it looked pretty comfortable. And um, you know, they certainly, I think, you know, hesitate to say it, but you know, mid, part of that midfield pack. Yep, interesting. And, um, I, I Fingers think. Crossed. Fingers crossed. I feel sorry for Bottas. Mm. I, th- I think with. Guanyang Zhou as his driver, he's got a you know, brand new rookie as a teammate. I, I think in the Alfa Romeo, uh, Bottas is going to be struggling to potentially just keep the car in front of the Williams. I, I can't see him yeah? fighting pretty podiums or the midfield results. I just... <sighs> he, he doesn't know the Ferrari engines at all. He's just gone to a completely... He's gone from probably potentially the second biggest team in Merck to one of the smaller teams. Um, and the, the, the resources just aren't there. I, I just think they haven't really built a car around him because it was a sort of a late call, sort of mid-season that he was going to get get the uh, get the punt from Merck to True. put George Russell in the seat. So it, it, potentially it could be just this season he develops the the car and gets used to it and gets it ready for for the twenty three season, and he, he might just absolutely light the thing up then, but. I think it's going to take him 12 months to get used to the whole, you know, sinful factory and, and how Freddie for the Sir runs a team. Kind of like the Daniel Ricciardo at McLaren scenario where he just, again, we talked about it in a previous podcast, he just hasn't been able to co- connect all the dots together and feel comfortable with the Mercedes power delivery and... And I, yeah. I, there's no question like he's able to build people around him. I, I that that's one thing that I think with Bottas as well. I mean he's he's he did well at Williams, obviously to get him. He he did he did good enough to get him to drive in Mercedes. Um, he's never really been lightning quick in Mercedes. Um, now he's going to kind of more of a midfield team. Um, but 
does yeah does he have that ability to build the team and the car around him or is it going to be more dependent on the way uh, Vassor puts his team together and his engineers and it's more dictated to to Valtteri this is the direction that we're going i mean driver feedback i've done a bit of racing myself um driver feedback is very important about you know getting the setup right getting the car right one thing that Valtteri has, I suppose, that nobody else on the grid has, with the exception of maybe George Russell, um, would be he knows exactly what a current era championship winning car should feel like. Um, but then the reg changes have kind of thrown all that out of the window. So kind of, I don't think any of the cars are going to feel like last year. So yeah, he is he is in a bit of a massive grey area, isn't he? And uh I don't know what the point I was trying to make there. I, this 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 happens when I waffle, but uh Stas, you'll ask you obviously sticking on Bodas here, he's gone from the, the corner office on the top floor to the you know, he's just now in a much smaller office and you know, less to offer. How do you think he's gonna go at Alpha? Uh, I I'm probably more positive. Uh, I think he's um uh, you know he'll 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 be a good mentor for um uh for 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 I keep saying his name or is it Joe uh, or, or Zoo as Joe, I keep yeah. calling him but um yeah Joe, Joe um Joe. and uh yeah, you know he's a quick driver I think he um uh and and the package looks pretty good so um you know I'm I'm more positive about um Bottas at Alpha um but yeah I mean you're right it's not um. Uh, it's not at the same level as, say, last year's Mercedes, but um, um, and you know, remember it's Sauber, so you know there's limited, um, uh, mm. you know, there's limited facilities really. But um, you know, it was a relationship that he had for a long time, uh, and, and I think he'll um, he'll be much happier, and uh, you know, and he's got a long-term contract. He's got that that confidence um, to um, you know to to give him give him a bit more of an edge. You know, I think that the challenge with him at Mercedes wasn't speed. I mean, certainly in qualifying, you know, he was, uh, you know, on, on his day, he was he beat Hamilton, um, you know, fair and square. Um, but, um, you know, where he sort of disappointed, if you like, for me, was uh, as a wingman for Hamilton in the championship. You know, for somebody who was coming up behind him, that sort of aggression wasn't there. And maybe it'll uh, come back to a bit more at Alpha when he's a bit more comfortable in his seat. True. Just going back to Haas for two seconds. Apparently, um, Magnussen signed a multi multi year deal, so clearly they've re-established their faith in him as a as a driver. So, K Mag's going to be you know at Haas for for a while to come. You know what I'd say? Oh, I'm pleased to, to hear see that. We can do oh, with that car. Yeah. yeah. Can I can I just interject there? I think it's important as well for Mick as well to have a driver that he can really lean on for uh, experience um <clears throat> at the end of the day you know it's it's very much a ferrari uh driver academy type you know with the engine deal and everything between Haas and ferrari they need to get mick schumacher you know they need to get him scoring points and and developing well uh, it's not going to look good if Schumacher drops off the the grid and falls out of F1 because because he didn't have those supports there i i know i think regardless i think he'll be looked after by ferrari but i think it's very important that having K-Mag now at Haas will help develop Mick as well cuz Kevin's got a lot of experience he's been you know we we've seen him how he did well at McLaren um, he was he was liked there. They they he's had a lot of experience developing this Haas car over the last few years. You know he he brings a lot to the team, and I think a multi-year deal for Haas. I think it's a very sensible approach, uh, and I think Mick is definitely going to benefit from it as well. And consistency and feedback for the team. So, you know they 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 they've been working with him for a lot of time. Uh, you know for for many years. Um, they're gonna they're gonna be speaking the same language again in terms of um, you know how to work with him and and I think for us as as fans it's always quite interesting to see how Mick Schumacher you know stacks up against a known quantity. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. 
Um, moving on to the obviously the hot topic during the testing was a lot of the cars were suffering from porpoising or porpoising or whatever whatever you want to say. What Tony's doing there, jumping up and down his chair. Um, obviously, it's a it's a side effect of these new aero packages and the Venturi Tunnel and um, so forth. I mean, the, the teams are trying their best to come out of it. I think the, the scariest video I was watching Gasly in the AT going down that straight, just going bob, 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 and I thought... That was my Gasly impression. How they that get... was my Gasly impression. <laughs> but how are these guys going to do a full race distance with that, with that going on? I mean, it's, it's going to have to be sorted out somehow. Well, I, I, look, I, I, I was going to say that, you know, the scary time would be when it starts to happen in a cool... Um, you know, in a high-speed yeah. corner, that's um, uh, that, that's when it's it's really alarming. But you're right; it's it doesn't appear to be sustainable, from what I saw. You know, doing um, you know 70 laps, um, <laughs> you know, uh, bouncing your head up and down. I don't think that's um, that's viable. But um, you know, it's easy enough to fix. You just raise the rear ride height or raise the ride height. Um, you know, the question is, you know, the teams just need to get on top of. Um, you know, tweaking the car to, to eliminate it or minimise it. Um, and I think some of them are going to be better at doing that than others, and, and that's going to be a function of their aero design. You know, some of them, you know, like McLaren haven't suffered. It appears to be that they're trying to seal the underfloor with aero, so you have more of a progressive brake. Um, whereas, you know, Mercedes just is, is, seems to be stiffer and stiffer and stiffer. Um, and, uh, you know, where you have a, a mechanical um, mechanism to stop it, then it's, you know, essentially an on-off switch. So, um, you know, that makes it worse. So um, it'd be interesting to see how they do it. But, um, you know, I think all of the teams have shown progress. The question is how much performance goes off, um, you know, in in achieving that progress. I think an important point to make as well, uh, and again, I picked up this. We were myself and Durko were talking about this yesterday. Um, there is going to be a vast difference, I would imagine, um, between Saturdays and Sundays. So on low fuel, uh, on a Saturday for qualifying, the ride height is quite high, um, and the problem seems to be when they're braking, and that height you know, changes at the rear of the car. There isn't any downforce going into the corners. So the, there's a tracks like Monaco, um, possibly Saudi, you know, or other real tight corner tracks because they seem to be clean, complaining about turn 10 in Bahrain. I think it's turn 10, that, that kind of sharp hairpin before they go down on the back straight. So as they enter into that corner, there it's kind of uphill. And as they hit the top of the uphill, the car lifts, detaches from the ground. As they hit the brake, it continues to stay detached. And they've absolutely, you saw so many cars going into the runoff area at that corner because there just is not any downforce in slow corners. The problem then, when you transfer everything to Sunday, the cars now are suddenly a lot heavier. They have 100 kgs of fuel on board. They're, the rear of the car is going to squat a lot more. Um, going down the straight, it's going to be a lot lower. So you might see, you might not. I, I, I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm not a, I'm not an engineer, but I'd be, I know, I, I think um, you're going to see a difference between Saturdays and Sundays. Cars are going to look fairly stable in qualifying, and then those that first stint, maybe second stint until the fuel burns off, you you might see a little bit of poor poising um, through the the beginning half of the race, and it might then tail off towards the the end of the race I, I i don't know how close i am on that theory that's that's me and my tinfoil hat on again but you know i'm just thinking of it logically and comparing what i've been hearing from the feedback from different drivers and i think this is what potentially could be a problem is that you know drivers are just going to have to live with the poor poising if any i don't know how minimum maybe just finding the sweet spot during the first half of the race living with it on with the first half of the race and as the race goes on um, and the fuel burns off, it will get progressively easier. So basically, you start the race with the headache, and it'll eventually go towards the, the, the finish flag. I just want to make two points about it. I've, I've been showing the data of the you know, fastest speed through the corners around the Bahrain circuit during the testing. Now, the fastest 
corner through a speed, or speed through a corner that was able to be reached by Latifi was through turn 10. That was his effectively fastest corner compared to most of the other drivers. So whether Williams turned up with a completely wrong setup or what, or their poor poisoning is, is so bad that it's it's really affecting the car. Um, the second thing I want to say is obviously something you brought up with me, Tony, in a phone call a few weeks ago was regarding the McLaren and their reverse suspension setup because clearly it's working for them in dampening out this effect because they are just going dead flat at speed. Um, clearly, you know, they might be sandbagging, to use that term that everyone seems to throw, especially at Merck, but uh, McLaren's reverse suspension system may be the way to go. What does Stacey think on um, when it comes to rear suspension setup and um, the differences? Uh, is it is it you've seen some teams go uh, pull rod pull rod push rod rear pull rod front mm. push rod front pull rod like what, what in in your opinion what is what is what is the best setup that you've seen in terms of suspension? Uh, look, I. I... My personal view is that I don't think it'll make a lot of difference. Um, and, and the reason for that is that um, <clears throat> push rod or pull rod, um, you know, to, to my understanding, is largely a packaging question. You know, you, you would have to go one or the other depending on your broader strategy and philosophy on aero um, and, and the bodywork and, you know, how all those things interplay. Um, and the different behaviours of push rod or pull rod, well, you could make either do it, um, and, and but you would, you, you know, you just modify it to, to get the behaviours you want. You could get the same behaviours out of either. Um, but, um, you know, primarily it's a packaging decision, um, not a not a fundamental, um, you know, mechanical grip um, decision to, to, you know, to my understanding. So, um, so I, I'm... I'm sort of less focused on. I think the bigger variable would be around, you know, which overall package works, um, and and by overall package, I mean you know, the aerodynamic, the the, the drag, um, the uh, you know the downforce, the um, you know maintaining that, stopping the air separating from the you know the upper part of the diffuser, which is what's causing this porpoising, and I'm not sure pull or push rods going to make much difference to. Um, to that, given my understanding of how they work, you know, I may be wrong, but um, uh, but that's my my view. Interesting thoughts. You know, I, th- I think. Um, uh, I mean, I, I was just going to add to this that the other variable to Tony's thing is is real life. Um, you know, I think you're right. Uh, you know, the changing fuel loads and all that would change the behaviours, but you know, equally, just different circuits, different scenarios. Um, crosswinds, you know, all that sort of stuff, because it, it was, you know, that whole correlation discussion was once sort of explained to me by Mike Gascoigne, who said, you know, CFD, they have huge computing power, you know, fired at CFD, um, but CFD, um, you know, wasn't that good at handling low ride heights, um, massive downforce and large rotating objects in the airflow. So, you know, wheels, essentially a Formula One car, which is why you have these correlation um, gaps between the CFD and the wind tunnel. And equally, I think what we're seeing with this porpoising is a correlation issue between the wind tunnel and real life. You know, in the wind tunnel, you don't, um, you know, you don't start moving the floor around. You don't start putting crosswinds in. They, they can't mimic real life, and that's why, despite having tested this to death and analysed this to death, um, with all the the facilities that they have, when you actually come to the real world and you run it in a test, um, you know, you see them bouncing up and down down the straights. One thing I've thought is though, is this would we see so much of it if they had stuck with the smaller wheel size, the thirteen inch, rather than going to what they've gone to now? Uh, because of, only because of the the thickness of the tire, there's a lot more allowance there for Weak. absorption other than suspension. Would it Weak have tire. would it have cancelled it out? Because now they've got such a small you know, tire wall that literally makes it a much harder ride. Is that going to affect it as well? 
I think it would have been worse if they if they if they if they'd gone if they'd stuck with the older tire and you had the the bigger flex in the the tire wall then basically the, the, the way the way to fix the porpoising pretty much is to stiffen the rear end up so that it doesn't you know move around as much um sticking with the older tire I think you would have seen it would have been an, an additional problem what Ross Braun and Pat Simmons have they've talked about this this is why they've gone to the stiffer tire they've gone to stiffer suspension setups um because all that combined is what you need for for ground force uh, or ground effect uh it, well that's my understanding um I don't I don't think um I I think the you know when it comes down to the engineering side uh, one question like Stacy raised a very good point there is you know the real life situations and I've got a feeling that if the floor at any point gets damaged and this is where it's going to come back to how drivers drive the car during a race they're going to have to stay definitely stay off the sausage curbs they're definitely going to have to stay out of um getting into any kind of conflict with with other drivers because I think the floor well the floor is definitely a massive key part of of the whole aerodynamic package if that floor gets damaged at any point i mean my thought would be that those cars will just literally drop to the back of the grid because with it with a damaged floor and limited downforce um it's 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 really going to make the car undrivable they're kind of tricky as to drive as they are and I think you know, if you've got a, an offloading of, of, of aero on one side of the car versus the other, it's going to make driving a, a, an absolute nightmare. Um, all right, I will move on to the next topic. Rob Squires, one of the members, has written in with a question. Uh, Merck's non-existent side pods, have they found something out that the others haven't? Now, I think it, it's a pretty radical design when you look at the side of the car and it, it, uh, it reminds me of the old Lambo. It's just literally almost a triangular shape in some way what model what year what model what year of lambo does it remind you of durko <laughs> 1991 thank you yes i made a mistake i don't know don't make them often but i did make one so you know getting back to the merc how are they really going to cool that car down in hotter circuits like you know bahrain singapore saudi arabia um how are they going to cool the car down? Because they're really cutting back on the amount of air that they're jamming into it. I know most of the air comes in off to the air pod above the driver's head, but are they just really doing this for dramatic aero effect, or are they going to are they going to come back potentially next week again for the Bahrain race with the original car that they they ran in in Spain? Or what's your thoughts, Stacey? Uh, look, I, I think it's a, it was an intentional um, piece, and it's it, from I was reading some aero, um, uh, you know, work earlier today, and, and it appears that um, obviously there's still flow through the through the radiators, but the, the objective of it was to create vortices that make the underbody um, more uh, generate more downforce. So um, uh, that's that's essentially what they've done is create vortices down the side of the car that that um, you know will make the underfloor even more powerful. Um, but the flip side to it is that it would make it more prone to porpoising. Um, and so you know the argument is that uh, I'd come back to you know the earlier point I made about you know CFD and wind tunnel to real life. It strikes me as the sort of thing that, you know, on a flat plane in a wind tunnel gave them, you know, loads of extra points of downforce and, and therefore they've started to manufacture it and bring it here. But in the real world, um, uh, it's causing them an issue and the question is going to be how much of that do they then have to unwind? You know, I think they they have found something. I think they've um, uh, done a very good job at, um, you, you know, creating that extra downforce. The problem is they can't access it. So, um, you know, I wonder about um, the interesting measure will be, you know, how fast is that car after they fixed the porpoising and got it working again? Um, my opinion on the Mercedes side pod, um, I've got mixed feelings about it. I think, um, 
In what way? Because the way it looks or the, the effect of it? It's, 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 I suppose the effect of it hasn't really paid off. Um, I mean, if the intention was to create extra vortices and extra downforce, but it's actually, um, what it's actually done is, is created more porpoising and, you know, then, then that's a bit of a, like, like Stacy said about the CFD, the correlation hasn't really come together on track. Um, I commend Mercedes or, or any team for that matter that comes with radical designs and have been able to look at the regulations and find uh, loopholes um, or really kind of push the boundary of what they can do within a within a given box uh, within within given measurements. I mean, if you look at the difference between the Red Bull side pod and uh, and uh, the Mercedes, you'd kind of be saying that you know Adrian Newey's got it right and uh, James Allison and and his lads have have, have got it wrong. Um, we haven't seen we haven't seen anything amazing from the Mercedes unless they're sandbagging, which I don't think they are. I, I you see every year Mercedes have come out and they've said. Um, oh, we're having trouble with the car during testing. The, you know, with the drivability there's a problem. I think is what Bottas said uh, in twenty one that we have, that we're having drivability issues, and then all of a sudden, bang! They hit the first race, couple of races in, and they were they were competitive. They were at the front, and then we realised, oh, Mercedes was sandbagging. I think this year is different. I've got a feeling going by the body language of. Uh, both drivers and team members that there is a genuine problem with that Mercedes um, they've done a great job in packaging their cooling up a lot tighter to the body getting their side pods in reducing drag but it 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 hasn't it hasn't set off any fireworks for me in terms of okay that's impressive it seems to have caused more problems than than it solves Um so, like going back to the, the the pecking order that we were trying to predict earlier, I, I I don't think Mercedes have got this right. I I I don't see there being a massive difference between themselves and other teams around them. You know, if whether it's just you know Ferrari just in front or McLaren just behind or McLaren just in front or you know wherever they do they wherever they sit in the pecking order, I don't think it's going to make a massive. You know, it's not going to push them to the back of the grid. But it's no, it's no magic wand. It's 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 not the magic beans that I think they were hoping for. Um, it really hasn't delivered. Uh, but again, this is only testing. Um, yes, they could, like you said, Durko in uh, Bahrain first race. They'll just arrive with the old Cypod setup or something completely different again. Maybe a hybrid of the the new Cypod that we saw in Bahrain in the last week and a and a and a, and a combination of that and what they had in Barcelona, maybe a kind of a, you know, a kind of an in-between version. Who knows? I mean, I start to think, you know, is it, a, is it a case of Merck just turning up and saying, look, this is what we can do because, um, you know, Christian Horn has come out and said, oh, it's completely illegal. It's not within the regulations. It's not within the fairness of the sport. This design is completely radical. Um, yeah, it's like when they turn up with six wheel Tyrrell and the six wheel Williams. You know, you just can't race this sort of car. But Christian Horner, as I said, yeah, you know, he reckons it's 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 not right. But obviously, Joe J- Bauer, the paddock policeman, he's not there this week because in testing you can do whatever you want. So it'll be just interesting to see what happens next weekend, which car they actually pull the covers off and uh, and wheel out to to race for Lewis and George. So I was going to say, although Christian Horner um, had. Um... Uh, you know, I think the great news about the Mercedes side pod is it uh, essentially lured Christian Horner into um, being caught back channeling. So uh, he, he was trying to speak off the record to uh, to a journalist at Auto Motor and Sport, a German magazine, um, yeah. trying to leak out that the um, Mercedes side pods were illegal. Um, and then I think more recently today has been um, uh, has, has formally wound that back and confirmed that it is fully legal. So um, so I think you know the, the great news is it sort of it, it's exposed a, a, another sort of Christian Horner special really. I think I think personally Christian Horner and Marco are the motorsport equivalent of internet trolls. Aren't they? 
Oh, I'm gonna pay that comment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna pay that comment. I mean, I'm no fan of Helmut Marco. I, just, I still wonder what he does there all the time. But you know, he's there as an advisor. But I mean, seriously, yeah. I, I don't know what he's bringing to the team. Yeah, oh, I was gonna say the, the strange thing about Red Bull is that more than any other team, publicity and PR is in their DNA. That's what they are, is a publicity team for Red Bull. Yeah. Um, and yet they always seem to have an eggy smell about them. Yeah, good point. Um, but it was one of the drives this week made some you know, funny comment about, oh, I'm not just driving for some soft drink manufacturer, you know, I'm actually racing for a Formula One team. I mean, it just it keeps coming back to the, yeah, as you said, this is the marketing ploy or marketing ploy to, to And they're to great races. Energy. Yeah, you know, they oh, are yeah, great. Yeah. They've got a load of very good people. They've got Adrian Newey. Um, you know, they, they should be a class act. It's just that they, um, you know, they keep sounding out the bum notes on the guitar. Imagine what Haas could do if they could grab Adrian Newey and say to him, mate, here's a clean piece of paper to design a car for us. But I reckon, I reckon Lawrence Stroll would be the bloke who would want to grab Adrian Newey. Um, yeah, but let's put it, let's put Adrian Newey into perspective as well. You know, I mean, he he could design a good car, but it's taken him how many years to beat Mercedes? So let's let's keep that fresh in our minds as well. That you know, he's he's a he's a great engineer. He's limited to what he can do, um, like any other designer. Largely, Adrian is. Uh, more to do with aero drivability you know uh driver feedback building the car around them that kind of thing you know he he he's nothing to do really with with engines and power units and hybrids and all that kind of thing so um that's just not his area of expertise so you know it's taken him taken him seven or eight seasons to get to get on top of mercedes and only by the skin of their teeth uh, i might add um Adrian going to Haas. Uh, Hypothetically. Never happen anyway. Yeah, it would never happen. But I think, you know, going back to the Red Bull point, um, once, I, I I am a big fan of... Uh, okay, I'll, I'll rephrase that. I admire the way Horner uh, manages the team and the way he's built it from... from, from what? The way the way the way he's the way he's the way he's um the way he's built the team up over the the last you know decade and a half uh, longer the the respect that he has from within the team <clears throat> yet it's it's a PR machine absolutely if you I watched the first uh, four or five episodes of um, Drive to Survive there last night and uh, I, I, you can definitely see the yeah. the pa- the passion. That he has, just to beat Mercedes, just to be number one, just to be the you know, and that's what you want. It's people like that. It's people like Horner and Toto that you need in 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 a, in a sport like this. Um, go, you know, the two Goliaths going head to head, two you know, cracking drivers, uh, two great designers. Like that, it's. I wouldn't always buy into the PR. I know I read I read a little bit like what Stacy referred to there, you know, Horner had made a comment and then he was backtracking. It was kind of off the record, it was on the record and you know, um I don't think, you know, the point here is we're talking about Mercedes Cypods. I don't think they've done anything illegal. There is I think a yeah. protest been launched by Ferrari regarding the wing mirrors. Uh is it wing mirrors? Side side mirrors. I don't know how, um, and how they've been mounted because I think Ferrari had something like that in their design last year or the year before, and it was banned. And Mercedes have gone down the same the same road. So I I do believe there is a a protest there from Mercedes. Oh, sorry, from um Ferrari about Mercedes's wing mirrors. But all in all, I don't think Mercedes have done anything wrong. They've exploited the regulate. They've exploited their regulations. They've tried to find where they could try and gain time and, and, and get an advantage. Maybe it just hasn't paid off for them, you know? So hats off to them, but okay. we'll see in Bahrain. Before we wrap the show up, um, one last question. Jeff Kendall wrote in, and his question was, discuss some of the tracks using or that were used during the COVID pandemic. 
which is not on the normal schedule, do some uh, merit inclusion in the future seasons. Um, I'll go straight off the bat here. I just love the Portimao circuit. Some people just think it's rubbish. No, shouldn't go back there. Um, but for me, I think Portimao should be a, a regular. I think F1's potentially outgrown Imola. Um, it's just my thoughts on it. I don't think it's probably that well suited as good as what Monza is just a, a one that should stay. But I'd love to see Portimao come back. But then, you know, there's other older circuits like you know, the Korean circuit. Um, I didn't mind it for the ridiculously long straight for what it was. But I think Portimao's got to come back because I think it's a good, challenging circuit for the drivers. Um, Stacey, what's your thoughts? I think I'd second you with Portimao. Um, I thought it was a really interesting addition, but in in general, uh, I think what's really interesting is when we go to new places. Um, And, uh, you know, if we go to the same old places year in, year out, um, interest wanes. So, um, you know, I'd, I'd be quite happy seeing a number of core grandee circuits, if you like, you know, the, the, the Monaco's, the Silverstone's, the, you know, the, the, the Monza's, um, and, uh, and then seeing a lot of new stuff. Uh, and I think we, we get better races, as I mentioned before, you know, that the teams have, have done a million laps at Barcelona. We never get an interesting race at Barcelona. So um, uh, yeah, I think new true. new circuits are, are good for us because uh, they, they generate a level of uh, just fresh, fresh, fresh interest, but also they're good for, for the racing by and large. So you think races like potentially Silverstone, Monaco, you know, Catalonia circuit, they could well, be shelved for... A season no, I think I think I would say no. I would I would keep, um, you know, as I use the term, but you know, like the grandee circuits. Uh, you know, my, my my perfect world would have, say, half the races is historic, um, you know, circuits that are there come what may because you know they're part of the history of the sport, um, and you should carry that through. And and every year we should be going to somewhere new. Yeah, we should we should sprinkle the calendar with a few, uh, you know, a few new circuits. Yeah, well, I mean, this year we're going to Miami, so we'll have to wait and see what it's like. Yeah, yeah, I think, and and you know, we're all we're all asking that question. I think it probably proves the point. Yeah, we're all looking forward to that for that reason. Tony, your thoughts, Big T? What, what's um. I suppose what Jeff is referring to is, you know, these, I suppose they were left at short notice and trying to fill the, the gaps. Um, is there any merit for, what was the question? Is there any merit for those inclusion in the future? Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Do they justify coming back? Would you go, do you remember the, was it last year they did Bahrain, but they shortened the circuit. Uh, they took out the middle sector. And they made it kind of a almost like a, an IndyCar type circle. Yeah, you know, was that that was last year, wasn't it? Yeah, that was Bahrain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, did we? That was that was an okay race, wasn't it? I, I my memory is sketchy. I mean, we went to Qatar as well. The, the we Qatar, Qatar race was well. completely unknown. They they pulled that out of the that out of the out at the last minute. Yeah. I, if you look like tracks like uh, you know Qatar, uh, that new Bahrain setup, uh, that kind of version two, if you want to call it, we were back in Hungary as well, weren't we? We had a great race in Hungary, which hadn't mm. been on the, the calendar, and it's you know I'd like to see Hungary back. I've always enjoyed racing Hungary on you know on the the console on the on the on the Formula One game. I always loved that track. Um, I think they merit. I think they merit inclusion in the future, but like Stacy made the point there, going to new tracks, um, as long as they're not going to be all Herman Tilk um, street circuits. But like you know, yeah, we're back in my. We're we're actually going to Miami for the first time this year. Um, are we in? Uh, are we in Vietnam this year? Hanoi? No. Uh, no. No. We're probably, not going there. We probably won't ever get there. No, we won't ever get there, no. So, you know, Saudi Arabia, I think, is, you know, it's a good track. We, 
albeit a lot of safety cars and, and controversy. Uh, you know, I mean, a, a track like Saudi Arabia, um, I think when it when I think the dynamic of a lot of these tracks is going to change as well in the sense of the these new regulations and the, these new these new cars uh, versus existing older tracks and the new tracks that we're going to which have kind of largely been designed around the new regulations they've got longer straights heavier braking areas i can definitely see in the next year or two places like a track like monaco just being completely pointless to go to because the cars you just you won't there's just too many slow corners these cars just will not go around slow corners so um i'd like to see more um i'd like to see more different tracks i think i'm ready for it now i think i think what they've done with formula one over the last couple of years they've got it to a point now where it's exciting there's a lot more of a, a younger audience it's more, there's even people that I'm talking to that have never had an interest in Formula One and they're asking me, oh, what did you think of Hamilton there? And what did you, everybody asks me, what did you think of Abu Dhabi? And I'm just like, you know, fuck off. I'm not interested. I've talked it to death. But um, it's like, you know, you have people coming up to you and go, uh, oh, yeah, you're, you know, and oh, yeah, what, what sport are you into? Oh, okay, I'm into Formula One. Yeah. Oh, Schumacher, he was a great driver, wasn't he? He was a great driver. That's it's all that people have in their heads and they're kind of completely sidetracking now. But I think it goes the same for the tracks as well. I think we need a complete shake up now and we need some new tracks. We need to get some to some different areas and really test these cars out and see what they can do. And I think uh I think there's gonna be have to be possibly forcible changes within the tracks. Didn't they change Spa as well? I think I read recently that they've changed Eau Rouge to, to have a maybe uh did they? There's been some slight changes to, to Urush up to Radion, especially the old house is gone. Yeah, why did they? What, what was the reason for that? Was it because of runoff? Or? <sighs> yeah, putting a whole new stadium and heaps more seating. All right, I can say so. It was nothing to um, do with the the, the cars. No, nah, I don't think so. I think it might have been in the oh. interest of safety, moving barriers back and so forth. But. Mm. But Stacey, one thing I wanted to ask you before we wrap the show up, going back to that secure race, remember they had the short lap and it was like a sub one minute lap time. Everyone was critical of this, just going to say, oh, you know, it's pointless just to you know completely waste of time doing it. But it turns out to be one of the best races of that season, I think. And what, what did you think of it? Uh, again, I thought it mixed it up. Uh, I, I was very pro. Uh, I think the um, you know uh, anything that generates that sort of um, uh, something new, something interesting, a new challenge for the cars, new challenge for the drivers. Um, you know, it was fast, it was frenetic. I was, I was um, you know, I was very pro, and I, I'm I'm sort of open to them. You know, going to some other circuits. I mean, Donington Park again. I'd be happy with them to. It'd be great to see them going around Donington Park again. I think there's there's an yeah. opportunity to. Um, you know, to open up, open up even more doors of uh, of new circuits. I hope they still do. Maybe for uh, you know more positive reasons than than COVID. But you know, as a as a principle, I thought we ended up with a you know pretty good, varied, exciting calendar. I was up for shortening the laps. I was new configurations. You know, I'm, I'm very very pro that sort of stuff. All right. T, any final comments on uh, Jeff's question before I wrap the show up? Oh, I'm. I think you know this was a, a quite a free flowing podcast. Um, I think um, uh, this year is going to be very interesting. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Uh, I love the design of the new cars. I'm excited about the new tracks that we're going to. I'm. I'm thrilled that the engineers, that all the cars are not looking the same, that the engineers have all come up with different ways of doing the same thing uh, and arriving in different places. That The pecking order, potentially, I think we are going to see a change of the guard um, at the top. Let's let's go racing, lads. Let's let's stop talking about it now. Let's just you know let's get into quali now and 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 really sit down on the edge of our seats on a Sunday and be screaming at the TV. I want to get back to shouting at the TV. <laughs> Can't wait. All right. So 
one thing I want to do just before I close the show, the podium for the Bahrain Grand Prix. Now, I'm going to go all out here. I'm going to go Leclerc, Verstappen, Sainz. Tony, what's your podium? Uh, Off the top of your head. Verstappen, Sainz, Norris. Well, Stacey, your podium. Verstappen, Leclerc, Hamilton. Hmm. Ooh, good mix. Still, still I thought you were going to say Lonzo just wide toady up, but you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it never happened. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you to Tony for all your work and to Stacey, our guest tonight. Thanks very much for joining us, mates. We appreciate your input and uh, your thoughts on the topics that we've discussed. So that's it for this edition of the F1 Armchair Experts podcast. We'll be back again uh, probably after the Bahrain race to uh, dismantle it and talk about everything that's happened. So until next time, I say again, thanks, Big T, and to you, Stacey, thanks for your input. And until next time, folks, thanks for watching and listening if you're driving around in the car, listening to us dribble on. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. See you, guys. <laughs>